0: to remind you as we consider things today, what I usually say here as I begin thinking about the Sermon on the Mount, that this is something that Jesus has given us so that the house will be built and so that the house will stand. Remember what he said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that if, if you and I will listen to what he says... And practice these words, put them into action. Then you will build your house on the rock, and the storms may come, but the house will stand. Now that is true, because I want your house and my house and this house to stand on the truth of Jesus Christ. I want to share just quickly something that I say to my counseling clients sometimes. I talk to them about their house, and I want to mention to you about your house. A lot of times people come to me, and they have all sorts of things in their house. They talk to me about struggles that they've had, or pain that they've suffered, or disappointments in their lives, or depression, or even sins that they have committed that cause them to be guilty, and... I realize that as I'm talking to them in a counseling session or in sessions that they have a lot of stuff in their house. It's this house, (laughs) this emotional house, this spiritual house that all of us have. And I encourage my clients to, to look at the truth of what Jesus says about this house. And that's what I want to do for you and me today because we're going to talk about what Jesus says about our, our spiritual house, about what he wants for you to carry in your house and for you to be free and for you to be forgiven and for you to be a person, a man or a woman of joy. And that's part of God's and Jesus' intentions in this scripture. Now, the the controversy of this scripture. I must say a little bit about that because sometimes people are very confused about this scripture because Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill the law. Now, he's saying that he's not doing away with the law. And it's confusing because there are a lot of other places in Scripture where it specifically says that the law has been set aside. So what are we to make of this? Because I want to read from you for you in Romans ten four. It says, Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. It's the end he is the end of the law. Well, he said. He's not abolishing the law. And then in the third chapter of Galatians, it says, Before this faith came, we were held prisoner by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified through faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Sounds again like the law has been set aside. And then in Colossians 2, it says this, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of us our sins and have canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing triumphing over them by the cross. So did Jesus contradict himself? No. Because the key to the passage back in the fifth chapter of Matthew, he said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. Now please focus on the word fulfill because that's the key to this whole mystery of this passage of Scripture. And I've looked at it and I've prayed over it and I've prayed about it and I look at the term fulfilled and I realize that Jesus is saying that the law has been there and it has certain value But it's not full. That's what fulfilling the law is about. Because he's saying that he wants to make the law full. Now, I'm going to propose to you that what Jesus is saying is that he wants to take the law to a deeper level. Now, sometimes a law or a set of rules and regulations is up here on the surface it has to do with performance it has to do with behavior now we are absolutely please hear me well we are to behave and to perform as Christian men and women under the guidance of Almighty God absolutely I'm not taking any license whatsoever with this whole business of rules and regulations however Sometimes the rules and regulations are surface stuff. They are just content and structure. And they are lists of rules. And Jesus is saying, I've come to fulfill these lists of rules. Now, what what does he mean? If he's going to take it to a deeper level, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's not here on the surface It's deep in our spirits. This is a matter of the intent of the law, not just the structure of the law. What is Jesus' intent? What is he going to do when he's fulfilling the law? Well, it has to do with you and me. It has to do with people. It has to do with people 2,000 years ago. I want to remind you of some of the things that Jesus did because the Pharisees said, you're not supposed to harvest grain on the Sabbath. Well, some of his disciples were breaking off some corn for their meal. And the Pharisees said, no, 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 no. That's against the law. And Jesus said, no. Allow them to do what they're doing. Jesus defended them for what they were doing, because it was deeper than just the law. Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees again said, no, you're not supposed to do that. Well, Jesus did that. Jesus, well, the Pharisees said they had a law about people that had leprosy. They were not supposed to be approached Or touched, particularly. But what did Jesus do? He touched and healed somebody that had leprosy. Now, was Jesus breaking the law? I cannot say that. He was taking the law to a deeper level related to the spirit and the intent of the law. Because Jesus was in the process of giving love and grace to the people, and he's still in the process of giving love and grace to you and me, and I want us to think about that, because this is part of what Jesus is saying on through these next two or three weeks that I talk to you about other things related to this Sermon on the Mount, because Jesus even says there, you have heard that it was said Do not murder or do not commit adultery. But I say to you, now there's a phrase that happens six times here in the fifth chapter of Matthew. He says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, there is a deeper meaning to murder. He talks about being angry. He talks about the sin of the spirit. He talks about holding something against somebody. He talks about not just a sin of adultery, but of lust, of attitude toward somebody. Jesus is fulfilling the law by going deeper into the whole process. Now, if all we have is a set of rules and regulations, you know what we have? We have legalism. Now, have you heard that word? Do you know what that means? Do you feel okay about legalism? I don't. (laughs) I will tell you what I think about legalism, and I would talk to you for a long time about this because I do believe it is a lie. It is something that Satan uses to defeat people. Here's what I say about legalism at the basic root of legalism. Legalism, following the rules and regulations, living up to rules and regulations, it basically says, legalism basically says, if you will follow the rules and regulations, if you will do everything you can to be perfect, if you will be perfect, if you will move always toward that, if you will concentrate on that, if that will be your, then and only then will God love you. Mm, You're right. Please shake your head. (laughs) <laughs> because that's not what Jesus says, and that's not what Scripture says. Romans 5.8 says, Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if you don't know that, please hear that loud and clear, because every one of us has the opportunity to step into this great gift, because... I have sinned. You have sinned. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We're all sinners. We have failed in our lives. We can't live up to perfection, folks. Can you? No, I can't. We can't. Nobody can except Jesus was perfect. And we're not Jesus. And so legalism says the only way that you can get God's love is to live up to all the rules and regulations. That's what the Pharisees said. They had hundreds of... Hundreds of rules. Now also, usually, legalism, the rules and regulations, are man-made. Now that's what it was with the Pharisees, because they had made up. Now there are many rules in the Old Testament, yes. But the Pharisees had made up a ton of rules. And people were in bondage to these rules. Well, I ask you to think, do we have a lot of made-up rules by man in this day and time. Yes we do. And so legalism defeats people. If you feel like that you have to live up to all the rules and regulations and you can't, does, isn't that a hopeless proposition? There's no way that you can. And so it is a defeating of you. And that is Satan's desire. That's why he uses this. And he destroys people. And people come to me for counseling. Or to hopefully the truth of Jesus Christ. That he does not require us to suffer from legalism. Now what does he give us? He gives us love and grace now this is the element of taking the law and taking it to a deeper level another thing about legalism and i believe you would agree with me if you don't you can talk to me later but legalism repels people it pushes them away how do you feel if somebody forces you to do something how do you feel if you're demanded to do something? How do you feel if you're bossed around? Now, some of you have jobs where you're bossed around. I've had jobs in the past where I was bossed around, but thank the Lord I work for myself now and the Lord, and I like both my bosses, okay? But I'm, I'm not in favor of somebody being bossed around in an inconsiderate, forceful kind of way. That's what legalism does if we just got to follow all the rules and regulations, it says you must, and then if you will, then God will love you. No. God says, I love you. And he draws us to him because love and grace draws people to Jesus Christ. Now, I want to propose something to you. What what I'm talking about here, well, in fact, what Jesus is talking about here, Is the very lifeline of the church. It's the very lifeline of the kingdom. It's the very essence of what is going to bring about more and more and more of God's kingdom. And that is the love and grace and the freedom and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, where he draws us to himself and builds a relationship. It's the lifeline. Now, what does Satan want to do? He wants to throw in legalism and say, nope, it's not true. God doesn't love you until you do this, 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 and this. When Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, he's taking it to this deeper level of loving human beings, loving men and women, Loving people and giving you and I the opportunity to be in a relationship with him. Now, is that true? I want you to go back to some stories. Because Jesus not only taught this when he was here 2,000 years ago. But he lived it out by his very behavior. By his very relationships. By his very ministry that was involved with the people of his day. I want to remind you of him going through a country called Samaria. In the fourth chapter of John, it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. That's not true. Jewish people went around Samaria all the time because they didn't like the Samaritans. They didn't believe in the Samaritans. In fact, they had laws that said don't associate with Samaritans and A double law that said, don't associate with Samaritan women. And Jesus purposefully, and scripture says, he had to go through Samaria. Why? Because he wanted to give love and grace to a woman that had been married five times and was now living with a man, number six, that she was not even married to. You think the Pharisees would be in favor of that? That the law was okay with that? No. But Jesus went there in order to give his love and his guidance and his grace to this woman. And he spoke to her and he dealt with her. And he witnessed to her and he gave her the truth. And this woman became an evangelist. She went back to her town and said, hey, let me tell you about this man. And he's told me all these wonderful things. Because Jesus Christ was fulfilling the law. He was taking it to a deeper level right there in his very behavior, in his ministry that we have the record of in the fourth chapter of John. There's another instance I remind you of. It involves another woman. And it involves a woman that had a bad reputation. We go to Simon's house. Now, Simon was a Pharisee. And Simon had invited Jesus to come to dinner. Now, do you think that was because of good fellowship and relationship? No. Simon wanted to trick Jesus or trap him. They always tried to get him trapped in some form or fashion. But Jesus went, and I promise you, Jesus being all-knowing, he knew what was about to happen. And I think this was part of the purpose of why he went to Simon's house. Because he's reclining at the table, Scripture tells us. They're having dinner. And this woman, now we don't know exactly who the woman was, but there's every chance that it was a woman by the name of Mary, who was the sister of Martha, who was also the sisters of Lazarus. You remember that story? Jesus was involved with his family. And here's this woman, Mary, and so she knows Jesus. And she has been forgiven. She was a woman of ill repute, a bad reputation, well-known in the community, this woman. And in she walks to Simon's house. And she is sobbing. Why? Not out of pain, She is coming because of her adoring and love and forgiveness that Jesus Christ has given to her. That she's been forgiven of her sins. Her life has been changed. And she comes in and she is sobbing with tears flowing down her cheeks and falling on the very feet of Jesus. And what I'm about to say is a very intimate picture. And some people have trouble with that. But intimacy here is a wonderful love relationship between this woman and Jesus Christ, meaning that he has loved her and given her grace and forgiveness, and she adores him and loves him, and she comes in with these tears flowing down, and she is wiping them with her hair. As Simon the Pharisee. So Jesus is going against the pharisees law he's going against the whole business of relating to a woman right there in public and simon challenges him and says or and at least in his mind and says if this man were a prophet he would know what kind of woman this is well jesus turns everything around on simon and has a beautiful story of forgiveness to this woman Jesus fulfilling the law another instance there was a fellow by the name of Bartimaeus he was a blind beggar he sat on the side of the road begging for alms begging for people to help him now what would the Pharisees say about blind Bartimaeus the the law said that somebody sinned (laughs) But that's why he was blind, that either Bartimaeus sinned or his mom and dad or his grandparents or somebody sinned and the curse was on Bartimaeus that he had to be blind. Well, here's Bartimaeus sitting beside the road. Just just one week before the cross, Jesus is moving toward Jerusalem. There's urgency in Jesus. There's a crowd all around him. I imagine that there were many Pharisees in the crowd because they were always hanging around Jesus trying to get him to mess up, to trick him or trap him in some way. So here's the crowd and Jesus is going along. Bartimaeus is sitting beside the the road and Bartimaeus is yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What does Jesus do? He stops the whole crowd. Can you imagine it? Here's Jesus going to Jerusalem. He stops the whole crowd walking down the road. They're just outside of Jericho. And he says to Bartimaeus, he goes over to the man. He looks at him and he said, sir, what do you want from me? How can I help you? Do you understand the love and the grace, the effort the, the, the ministry from Jesus to this blind beggar. How can I help you? What do you want from me? And Bartimaeus says, I just want my sight back. And Jesus said, you've got it. Went against the law once again. One more instance. Just after Bartimaeus, there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus. You know about Zacchaeus. He was a little man. Well, they say he was a little man because he had to climb a tree in order to see Jesus, right? Well, I want to tell you there was another reason that Zacchaeus was a little man. He was a crook. He was a cheat. He was a liar. He was a tax collector. And everybody hated him except Jesus. You remember love and grace? Fulfillment of the law, the intent of the law, the spirit of the law, for the relationship, for the benefit of the people. Jesus walking through Jericho and he sees this little man up in a tree. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down here today. I need to be with you. And we know that Jesus went to Zacchaeus's home In the midst of all the murmuring of the crowd, and again, a lot of them Pharisees, what is Jesus doing? He's breaking the law. He's associating with a tax collector. He's associating with a crook, a sinner. But Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, and what do we know about Zacchaeus and his family? They all accepted Christ and became a part of the kingdom. Do you understand the fulfillment? Do you see what is happening here? And the fact is, remember I said that when there's love and grace, when legalism has been set aside, when all the rules and the regulations, not that we can behave any way we like, no, but they are put into the context of the spirit and the intent of the law, which is that when Jesus loves you, or as Jesus loves you, then you're going to be empowered, and that's an important word, you're going to be empowered in order to live according to the principles and the standards of the Christian life. If if you just have a list of rules and regulations or things that you must do or must not do, I think you're going to have a rebellious spirit. That's what happens with us human beings when we're forced. But when we're loved, we move toward it. And the whole business of this fulfillment and this grace and love that Jesus, he is wanting, he is establishing a relationship between himself and you, between himself and me, between himself and And Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus and the people of the New Testament. He wants to have a relationship. Folks, we're not involved in a religion. People ask me, well, what religion are you? Well, I am a Christian involved in the relationship with Jesus Christ because he wants through love and grace and the fulfillment of the law. His way of doing these rules and regulations. He wants to have a relationship with you. Now, he also wants another relationship aspect because he wants a relationship between you and other Christians. It's called a church family. It's called the kingdom of God. It's called Jesus Christ is the head. Because I'm not the head. I just happen to be the pastor right now. But Jesus Christ is the head. And I want you to know that just as surely as I'm sitting here before you. That what I'm speaking is Holy Spirit truth. And I've taken this before the Lord. And I know, I know that this fulfillment that Jesus Christ is talking about is for you and me. It is for people to experience the love and the grace of Jesus Christ and therefore the freedom and the forgiveness that comes with that great gift. Now, if there's anybody in this room, anybody that does not know Jesus Christ, if you're not aware, if you're not committed, if you're not believing, if you're not knowledgeable about that, then please come and talk to me after this service today. I promise you I will spend whatever time necessary to help you understand that this is Jesus' message. It's not just Don's message. And we all, every one of us that believes, lives in the love and the grace, the freedom and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And amen. Let's pray, please. Lord Jesus, we thank you so deeply. Goodness, it's such a powerful statement from you to us. That you came and part of your purpose in coming was to fulfill the law. To fulfill and give us the spirit and the intent of the law that would move with love and grace in order to forgive us, to draw us to you, to build a relationship with you, to live in the power, the absolute power of the Holy Spirit through you and with you. I pray that we will accept that, that we will live in that. I pray that we will know that that is true, that your word is value and correct and effective for bringing us, bringing every one of us into right relationship with you. There are many of us in the room that are believers. We know, we believe, we have you in our lives. I pray that everyone here is a believer. But there's some of us that have not just completely accepted the fulfillment of this law, of your love and grace. So I pray for the freedom and the peace and the joy for every one of us that comes when we know the truth of your presence in our lives. Lord, thank you. And we say that. And we need to do so much more as far as just learning and knowing and understanding and just experiencing the absolute joy of Jesus Christ. Thank you for all you give us. And we always pray in your wonderful name. Amen.